Man, I think God loves it when his people come together and give him praise. I think there's something about the heart of God that turns when God's people come together and they sing with passion and with, and with praise and with adoration. How many know he's worthy of our worship this morning? The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So as we begin to praise, I believe God's spirit comes. God wants to speak to us. God wants to reveal things to us. The question is, are we ready to receive it? I know I am. Are you ready to receive what God has for you this morning? And I guess I have such an expectant heart because I, I believe that there's gonna be some people that are gonna leave different this morning. Because I believe the Holy Spirit does that. <laughs> we come and open up his word. And so we're gonna be in 1 Samuel chapter eight this morning. I invite you to stay standing for just a second. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we are in a, king co- in a series called There is a King. And uh, it's gonna come up on the screens. And we do believe in the inspired word of God here at Calvary that this book is God's words to us. We're gonna read a portion in the Old Testament that's in narrative form today. It's a story. And out of this story, we can pull out some biblical eternal truths that I think we're gonna pull out this morning. So 1 Samuel chapter eight, we're gonna read nine verses. Uh, If you're ready, Sam, ready. Come on, you guys got to sleep in, okay? You guys awake. We were joking with the first service. They should get an, an award or something for coming on daylight savings time, but... 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1 says this. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah, which I think is how you say it. Sometimes Bible names, you just try your best. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Then verse four says, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, Samuel, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Verse six, but the king displeased Samuel and he said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel, he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Verse eight, according to all the deeds they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Verse nine, last verse. Now then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. I wanna talk this morning about receiving from God. Let's pray one more time just before we jump in. Lord, we, we wanna receive from the king this morning. So we're open, we're ready. Shape our minds to be more like you. Shape our hearts, turn them so we'd have hearts of compassion towards you and others, that we would be passionate about the things of God and we would be passionate about being shaped towards people of hope in this world. Lord, as we look around, we see that there is a lack of hope in this world. There's despair, there's brokenness. Yet, Lord, that does not come without a solution because we are, you in us, we are the solution. So shape us to be the people of hope that we might be walking in confidence and grace and faith and hope as people of your word, as people that sit at the feet of the King. So may we receive this morning, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You may be seated. Can we thank the worship team for just doing a phenomenal job this morning? (laughs) 
Is there any competitive people in the room this morning? Okay, Garrett, you're the most competitive because his hand went up first, right? I was looking to see whose hand went up first. I'm a very competitive person. Actually, my wife and I both are. I'm, I'm so competitive into the sense that uh, when I was in high school, we played baseball and we took, I took third place at a tournament. And I was like, I don't even want the third place trophy. Don't even give it to me. If you're not first, you're last. Can I get a witness in the house, right? I don't know what's worse, second or third, but they're both not the best because first is, is the best. I'm a competitive, I'm a competitive person. In fact, my wife is too. She was an athlete. And so we have fun sometimes together with this. Uh, a couple years back, we were at the YMCA working out and we were on the treadmill and we were going and, you know, it was probably like 10 minutes in. I noticed she started to speed up the number on her treadmill. How many know that was not about to happen right now? <laughs> I'm like, boop, boop. I didn't just go up one. I went up two, maybe even three in that moment. You know what I'm saying? And she doesn't know that I'm seeing she's doing this. So she's, you know, she's going, she's gone a little bit longer than me. So then I go up a little bit more. And then she actually starts to notice that I went up. And so what does she do? She goes up and we're going back and forth. By the end of this, man, we were like inclined all the way up on the treadmill. We're going like as fast as you can go. People are like, is that the guy from Calvary? He's being kind of weird over there. Yeah, we were. I was going to beat her. You know what I'm saying at this? And uh, at the end, we, we laughed about it. But at the, at the end of the day, we're, we're competitive. And this is why I think this matters for this, for this message this morning is that there's also a competitive nature for your soul this morning. There's a competitive nature for your heart. I wanna, I wanna remind you and teach you this morning that there is a lot that is fighting for your heart and your attention this morning. That, that the, it's competitive. It's a battle for the place in your heart of who will be first and what will be first. I think this is where we find ourselves in this passage of scripture in 1 Samuel chapter eight. We're in the Old Testament. If you're newer to the Bible, if you're newer to faith, to church, the Bible has two testaments. The first half is the Old Testament. It talks about the people of Israel. Everyone say Israel. Israel. And so we're gonna talk about today and the people of Israel were God's chosen people. And we learn about their ups and their downs and the good and the bad and how God shaped them in the midst of everything to be his people. And the people of Israel, I'm oversimplifying it, but I wanna, I wanna help you understand this morning lead us to the desire for King Jesus to come in the New Testament. Jesus comes in the Gospels, we see his life, we see how his death, we see his resurrection, we see how he lived, how he invites us to live. Jesus goes to be with heaven. The rest of the New Testament is about the church. This is what we're living in right now is a continuation of what happened in Israel thousands of years ago. And the end of the New Testament, it tells about Jesus coming back again. So here we are. We're at the beginning of the story talking about the people of Israel. We can learn a lot about the people of Israel because we're a lot like the people of Israel. The people of Israel are at this moment where they are at a transition of what it looks like for their governmental leadership. Are you with me this morning? I'm, I'm teaching you for a second. The Samuel who authors this book, this book is about, he's a prophet. In other words, he speaks on behalf of God. He's, he's speaking on behalf of God at the time when there was a time of judges in Israel. Uh, a time of judges, there was 12 judges that ruled over the 12 different tribes. A judge would step into leadership in the time of crisis, and then they would step out of leadership if things were just going normal. 
The leadership was actually on the family. The family would lead in a lot of ways in what this time looked like. So the judges would step in when needed and they would step out. And Israel is looking for something different. Are you with me this morning? They're, they're looking to step out of this time of judges and step into a time of monarchy. Now this was always God's call and God's heart for Israel was to have a king, but it was to be in the right time. How many were supposed to live in God's timing? That some things having them too early are not good for us. And so God knew that there was gonna be a king to Israel, but Israel wanted a king on their timeline. They wanted to end out of this season of judges into the time of monarchy quicker. And so we, we learn God in this narrative and how he interacts with the people there. This is the first thing we see. Why does Israel want a king? Not necessarily for the best reason. Why does Israel want a king? They want a king because they want to be like the other nations. I'm just going to pull out a few things from this passage this morning. The, verse five, it says this, they said to him, you are old. This is to Samuel and your sons do not follow your ways. His sons were the ones that were stepping into leadership. And so the people say to Samuel, now appoint a king. We don't want the judges. We don't just want a prophet. We want a king to lead us. And what's it say? Such as all the other nations have. How many know trying to look like the world is impossible when we're also trying to look like God? It just doesn't work. We see Israel in this moment, they want to be like everyone else, but that was not their calling. They wanted a king like the other nations had, but that was not their calling for this time. God called Israel to be distinctive. God called Israel to be different. God called Israel to be set apart. In fact, this is the vision statement of Israel. It's in Genesis chapter 12. This is the, the heart behind the entire nation of Israel, the people of Israel, how they were supposed to lead. It says this in Genesis 12 verse one, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country your people and your father's household, the land I'll show you. And I love this in verse two, I will make you a great nation, Israel. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. And how does this sound to someone? I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God has this deal with Israel from the get-go. If you'll follow my ways, if you'll go under my hand of blessing, if you will just follow what I'm calling you to do, I will keep my hand on you. I'll protect you. I'll bless you. Those that are gonna hate against you, the haters are gonna be, I'm gonna hate against them. Like those that curse you, I'm gonna curse them. But I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna be with you as long as you put me first. Everyone say first. As long as you put me first in your life. They're to be different. They're to be distinctive. But the, but the other side is also true with Israel. If you step out of my hand of blessing, if you step out of where I'm taking you, you'll have to fight the battle on your own. This was the deal that God made with Israel. I think it's a pretty good one. How many would wanna walk into confidence knowing God's gonna make me a great nation. God's gonna bless us. God's gonna be with us. He's gonna bless our enemies if we would just follow him, follow Yahweh. In fact, this is also what it says in Numbers chapter 23. It says, from the rocky peaks, I see Israel. I see them. I view them and I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the other nations. Israel had this temptation to want a king, not just because they wanted a king for the right reasons. They wanted a king because other nations had a king, but they weren't called to be like the other nations. They were called to be the chosen generation. 
The Bible speaks as they were the royal priesthood. They were the people of God that the world was to look at and see great Yahweh because of how Israel lived. He was the people in which God would reveal himself to the world. They were called to not be like the world, but what they are is sometimes like us and they were so busy on this time of comparison. How many know comparison is such a dangerous thing in our lives? It is so easy for us to look at other people and to want what they have and to think if we had what they have, our life would actually be happier. If we looked like this family, if we had this person's money, if we had this person's calling, if I looked like this person, I had the gifts of this person, if I only parented like those families parent, if I was only this kind of a son or a daughter, this kind of a wife or this kind of a husband, and we play this comparison game all the time. And how many know comparison will never get you to your calling? It'll never get you to your calling. You keep comparing and comparing and comparing, and you'll never get to be where God's called you to be. You're called to be you this morning. And you is awesome. And not because you're awesome, but because he is awesome. And he has put his thumbprint on your life this morning. You don't have to start looking like everyone else anymore. Israel had this battle of trying to look like the other nations. They wanted a king because the other nations had it. But God says, you are who you're called to be. Step into that. When you step into this grace zone that God has for you, you will have a purpose like no other. You know what else I noticed as I was reading this, 1 Samuel chapter 8, is that During this time of them wanting a king, Samuel, the leader at this time, his first response in times of conflict was prayer. It was such a short little statement as we read 1 Samuel chapter eight, but it like popped off the screen to me this week because I was reading on my phone. Samuel's first response was prayer. Love though it says in verse six, I'll read it again. Give us a king to lead us. This displeased Samuel so he... What's it say? Pray to the Lord. And, and I don't have a lot of time to spend on this this morning, but is prayer your first response or your last resort? I'll say that again. Is prayer your first response or is it your last resort? I love that in time of conflict, Samuel just said, okay, God, I don't know what to do. I'm in a time of crisis I don't know what, how to lead these people, so I'm just gonna have to cry out to the Lord for wisdom. How different would your week be? Let me challenge you this week. How different would your week be if you just set reminders in your phone or reminders in your car or when, first thing when you wake up in the morning? For me, I, like, I need a cup of coffee first thing in the morning. Any other Christians in the house that also operate like that? Yes. You don't wanna see me until I have that cup of coffee, you know what I'm saying? But... You know what that cup of coffee like reminds me of every morning? Like it's just been a rhythm in my life for so long. Like I go to the Nespresso because I'm not quite good enough to actually make an actual espresso. So we got the Nespresso, put it in, make it. Like in my mind, that just means like time to go pray. Time to go read the word, time to go pray. And it's like, it's just this discipline in my life. Like wake up, coffee, Bible, pray. And I don't know about you, what you have to do in your life, but Whatever comes at you, if you just have this pray first response, I love what Paul says to the church in Philippi. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but be prayerful about, what's he say? Everything, everything. He says to the church in Thessalonica, 
Pray without ceasing. Have this heart of prayer. May prayer be our first response, not our our last resort. This is what J.I. Packer says. This, we must learn to measure ourselves not by our knowledge about God, not by our gifts or our responsibilities in the church, but how we, what's to say, pray and what goes on in our hearts. Many of us, I suspect, have no idea how impoverished we are at this level. Let us ask the Lord to show us. Samuel was a person of prayer. He went to the Lord for wisdom. The third thing I noticed as I was reading 1 Samuel 8 this week is that Israel wanted a king for the wrong reason, and God provides them a warning that this, they were wanting this for the wrong reason. God provides them a warning. It says this in verse 9. Now listen to them. This is God tells Samuel, listen to the people. But as you're listening to them, make sure you warn them. Catch that. Make sure you warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his right. God gives them a warning. I believe that God, God always will give us a warning if, if there's a place in your life that you're not sure what to do or a place in your life where you're tempted to maybe live into sin or there's a place in your life where you're, you're not sure what this is to look like or what decision you're supposed to make, I do believe that God is good enough to give us a warning. It's like, it's like when you uh, take the off-ramp on a freeway or an on-ramp and it gives you like a recommended speed. It's the warning that you shouldn't go much faster than what that speed limit is. Some of you I see, you're like, I go faster than that anyway. I can just tell. I drive a Toyota Camry, so I'm not, like, that thing is not able to do that. Some of you drive sports cars, you can do it, but I can't. And, but, like, it's a recommendation, it's a warning, it's a, hey, as you make this turn, and we've seen what happens when people go too quick around those corners, right? I believe God does the same to us. God gives us warnings. Before you're about to make a decision, if it's not gonna be his will, his time, I think he'll give you a warning. It might be through a person, it might be through a phone call, through a text, through the word of God, through an inner conviction, through, through a sermon at church, through your quiet time, through a worship song in the car. Sometimes God just puts those checks in your spirit. You know what I mean by that? He says, is this what you're really supposed to do right now? And then you have the decision to make, am I just gonna move forward with it because it's what I wanna do or I'm gonna move forward with it because I'm humble and I wanna like seek some counsel and seek some wisdom before I step into it. Is this making sense with anyone this morning? God provides them a warning. He says, this king that you want, we find out is going to be King Saul. I don't have time to talk about it too much this morning, but this king that you want, I'm just warning you, he's going to take and take and take and take and take. He's gonna take from your lives. In fact, verse 11, it's the next verse after we read this morning. It said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. Catch this. He will, what's it say? Take your sons and make them serve with chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. Verse 14, he will, what's it say? Take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his attendants. Verse 15, what's it say? He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to the officials and the attendants. God's warning to Israel, you guys can have a king, you guys can have it your way, but this king is going to take, it's going to take, it's going to take, heed this warning. You see, Israel wanted a king for security. They wanted a king for safety. They wanted a king to be like the other nations. But ultimately God warns them that looking for a king and this kind of blessing is actually gonna be a king that's going to take from you. In other words... God blesses you with kids. God blesses you with sons. Yeah, those sons are now going to be in the king's army. He's gonna take from you. 
God, God, Yahweh says that he'll fight your battles for you. Instead, if you have a king, Yahweh is gonna leave it up to the earthly king to fight your battles for you. God's gonna take away his blessing. Yeah, you had workers and servants. You were successful. You, were, you, you had a business. You were doing great. Yeah, but the earthly king, King Saul, he's gonna take those servants. He's gonna take those workers. God blesses you with grain. He's gonna take the 10th. Kind of feels like tax season a little bit. They just keep, keep taking from us, right? Can I get a witness in the house? Anyone else, right? <laughs> this earthly king is gonna take, it's gonna take, gonna take. And this is the, the part of the narrative that kind of haunts me a little bit. Because what happens next is God warns them, God tells them, and at the end of the day, we read that God actually lets them have what they want. This haunts me a little bit, because I don't know about you, but I want to be right in the zone where God wants me. I don't want something, even if it's a good thing, if it's not a God thing. This idea of having a king was not a, it's not a bad thing. It wasn't a sinful thing to want a king, but it just wasn't the right time. And yet they wanted it because they wanted it. We learn in this powerful narrative of the illustration and the relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And that God loves us so much and that in love gives us a choice to choose certain things. But also within that love, he provides us a path and a way. He says, will you step into this path? Sometimes God will give us what we want. And here's the reality. Sometimes when that happens, we have to pay the consequences of what that means. It has to be the consequence of our choices. And at the end of the day, God warned them. God told them, be careful. Don't step into that. It might not be what's best for you. And it went exactly as God warned. They got King Saul. And King Saul was greedy. And he took from them. He was selfish in his own greed and good. And the people, thinking they wanted a king, actually were discontent and they were happy. You see, for years, Israel looked for a king to be a political leader. They looked for a king to be a wealthy person. They looked for a king to be their military leader that would expand their influence, expand their borders, that they could be a, a greater nation in the eyes of the world. But that was not what God wanted for them. What looked like freedom to the people of Israel was actually slavery. What looked like freedom was actually their greatest curse. And you see, this fulfills a great illustration for us too in that we're a lot like the people of Israel. And that we want a king too. We want a king in areas of our life. That king might look like money, takes that place of king in our life. We're not different from them. That king could be work. That if I just had the perfect job, if I just had the better job, if I just had this job, it would satisfy me. That king that we put in our lives, the throne of our lives, could be a hobby. Even a good hobby could be a king to us. A king in our lives, a, something we put on our pedestal could be, could be family. The king we put on our lives, the first thing on our pedestal could be social media. That king could be an image that we're trying to present to the world. That king we put in our, the first in our lives, this competitive battle for our nature, for our soul, it could be a perceived future that if I could just get everything and align it the way I want it to go, I'll have control. We, we sometimes put that as a king over our lives. 
making our families look like we have no problems. Kind of a sidebar, no family's perfect, church. <laughs> and, and stop comparing other families to ours, right? Because how many know like God's got it and God's with us and God's given us what we need, but we put the king of trying to look perfect for other people. And this is what I believe. Anything that's good that becomes ultimate, hear this, anything that's good that becomes an ultimate thing ultimately is the wrong thing. Like if it's a good thing, but it becomes the king in your life, it takes the place of King Jesus, it's not the right thing for you. Because the things of this world will continue to choke out our soul. They'll continue to choke out our lives. I believe this, that the things of this world, the things of this earth, they will take from us. There's a battle for our heart, a battle for our soul, but there is a king. And there is a king who is different. There is a king that is not like the things of this world. And this king is King Jesus. Israel wanted a king in their own timing. At times, we want a king in our own timing. And this, this story is a reminder that we have this deeper desire to fulfill this spot on, in, our, in our lives, on our heart, for King Jesus. You see, the kings of this earth come to enslave people, but the king of kings, Jesus, comes to set people free. I love what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. This is the promise of King Jesus, that he has come not just to be another king, but to be the king that can set all of us free this morning. This is King Jesus. And these are, this is straight from scripture, the king that brings freedom. Other scriptures say this, King Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the one in whom all things were created, both seen and unseen. He's the head of the church. He, he is the leader of the body of Christ. He's the one whom God has pleased to have all of his fullness onto King Jesus. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king in which all rulers, all presidents, all dictators, all authorities will one day bow their knees to. He's the king who holds all the power, the king who is all-knowing and knows your name this morning. He's the king who today holds the world between thumb and pinky, thousands of years ago breathed out and all things were in existence. He's the king who holds the keys to death, hell and the grave. He's the king who's the sinner's savior who died once and for all people. He's the king who has the ability to heal sickness, heal brokenness, heal disease. He's the king who can restore your marriage this morning. The king who is the king of families. The king that's from everlasting to everlasting. The king who can't stop. The king who one day will return to us and get his church. This is the king of kings. He's the Lord of Lords. This is King Jesus. And why do we want the other kings of this earth? When this is available to us, church. And I think some, some of us in this room, you're held in bondage this morning. And, and frankly, my heart breaks for you because it doesn't have to. You don't have to be stuck in the things of this world. There is a freedom that can release from your life and you can... You can have the freedom in Christ, the freedom in Jesus. This is what I know about the world. And catch this this morning. The world will always overpromise and underdeliver. Every single time the world will make a promise to you and the world can't keep its promises. The world will try to keep its promises, but it can't. It'll say one thing and you'll, you'll come out less. Let me tell you about the promises the King of Kings makes. Let me promise you, 
tell you about the promises of God. God always promises and God always delivers. And let me tell you, you've got to put that king first in your life or else you will never experience the freedom of God, the freedom that's available to you this morning. So what's this king require of us? Full surrender. 100%. What does this king require of us? The king that went to the cross for you and for me that now has ascended to heaven and is inviting us into relationship with him, what's he require of us? Full surrender. God doesn't want us just to give him part of our lives. God doesn't want us to just give him a portion of our lives. God doesn't just want us to have holding the things of the world in one hand and then open hand having the things of God. God is calling for us to live with open hands. The Bible says it this way. Jesus says, actually, in the Bible, it says, those that would want to follow me should lay down their life, take up their cross and follow me. So like, get rid of all the other stuff and just follow Jesus. Aren't you inspired by the disciples that when Jesus said, would you follow me? They just dropped it all and went. 100% of it, left their careers, their families, anything they had, they just went and followed Jesus. What does this king require of us? Full surrender. And you know what happens, church, when we get into a place of full surrender? is that when our hands are, and I think it's a great, it's a great analogy, it's a great picture, when our hands are open and, and our hands are in a posture of surrender, it allows us to receive. Because when we have an openness to receive, because we've surrendered everything in our lives to him, we can, we can receive the things that God promises us. We surrender, we release the things that we hold on to, and then we receive from him. Surrender, release, receive. What are some things that God promises to all of us that we can receive this morning with open hands? First is this, we can, we can receive eternal life. We can receive life in him. I'm so thankful this morning that we just get to receive God's life here and for eternity. This is what John 17, three says. Now, this is eternal life that they know you and the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God's giving us an opportunity, every person in this room, that we come and know Jesus has eternal life with him. We can receive that today. If you don't have a relationship with God, I can't promise what your eternal security looks like, but if you put your relationship into Jesus Christ, I can promise you, because the Bible says so, and my, and my faith, I believe it this morning, that if you put your faith in Jesus, you can make heaven your home. And it's not just about making heaven home, it's having a life abundant, the Bible says here, and we have to receive it with open hands. Receive it. Second thing we can receive this morning is receive his love. I wonder who feels unlovable this morning. I wonder, yeah, you could say the church answer. You could say, well, yeah, I know God loves me. I know other people love me. But on the inside where no one else can see and the things in your life where you're trying to process, do you really feel like God will love someone like you? But I'm telling you, he does. And he doesn't want, he doesn't love the perfect you. And he doesn't love the you when you get it all together. He loves the you right now. In fact, God wants to just meet you right now and, and just, you can experience his love. Because this is why it says in John, uh, I think John chapter one, it says that we love, first John, we love because he first loved us. Amen. 
We're gonna receive his love this morning. What else can we receive this morning? We can receive his grace, receive his life, receive his love, receive his grace. I wonder this morning who needs to just receive the grace of God anew and afresh in your life. You've been beating yourself up. You've been feeling maybe some shame. I'm here to tell you this morning that the grace of God is real for you and you can receive it. The Bible says from the fullness of his love and his grace, we have received grace upon grace. Oh, just receive his grace this morning. Maybe you need to receive his grace that can give you a new passion because I believe this is the, the fourth thing we can receive of many things I could talk about, but the fourth thing we receive is his purpose. You can receive his purpose this morning. Who needs to dream a new dream? Who needs to believe God for a new future? Who's in a moment of trying to decide what's next? I believe that God can give you his purpose. He can give you a new direction and a new way of living. His, his purpose and the values that he gives us. And I think even practically, God is good enough to lead us to where we're supposed to be. But when we're holding on to the things of the past, it's so tough to move into the future. There has to be this moment of surrender, release, and receive. It's my heart for us, church. Like Israel, they wanted a king. They wanted it in their timing, they wanted it now. I think sometimes we want the same things. We want a king, we want certain things in our life, we want it now. But then these moments of just surrender, of saying, there's no other king that's worthy of my worship, that's worthy of my life, than the king of kings and Lord of lords, King Jesus. That's why we've gathered, isn't it? To be here and to admonish him. Will you stand to your feet uh, as we close this, this morning? We're gonna close in just about two or three minutes, but I invite you to close your eyes. I just want you to just have a moment focusing on Jesus. I want you to, even right now, I want you to think that he is with you, even right now. I want you to imagine whatever that looks like. God is with you right now. He's in this room. I believe that. I believe that he's speaking to hearts. I believe that as we open up his word, there are things that are drawn to your heart right now that God has put and said, this is what you came to Calvary Community Church to hear and to apply and to be encouraged with this morning. I believe right now God's even shifting people's souls. He's releasing some captivity that you might have. You might have been holding on to things. And I think even right now, God's just, he's just releasing. In fact, as you're focused and your eyes are closed, no one's looking around. I want you to put yourself in some sort of form of surrender. Whether that's just hands out in front of you, that's hands over your heart, that's just maybe taking the hand of your, your spouse. If it's, if it's just a physical option, some, some might lift their hands to heaven. Whatever, whatever a form of surrender is for you this morning, I wanna invite you to do it. Let's just, let's just surrender. Let's release and let's receive. Lord, we, we do surrender to you in these moments. God, we, we, we acknowledge that you are the King of Kings. We acknowledge that you are the King that we so desperately want in our hearts. We repent for the times we put the Kings of this world at first place in our hearts because Lord, we know there's a battle for our hearts. So we, we release right now the things we're holding. I believe there's people in this room that have been holding things for their marriage, for their family. And Lord, they need to release those to you right now because you're the only one that can hold those things. You're the only one that can walk with them through those things. You're the only one that can change hearts and can change trajectories. So Lord, we release those things. At the same time, we receive from you. 
We receive your purpose. We receive your grace. We receive your love. We receive a, a new future for some this morning, some that might put their faith in you for the first time. God, I, I pray for those looking for new purpose, those that are coming out of this season, they're looking for something new. I pray as we sang this morning that we would receive your visions. We'd have our eyes fixed on heaven. God, even right now, I pray you would implant dreams. You'd implant things into people's hearts and minds that they would just receive these things from you. Oh Lord, we wanna receive from you this morning.